Welcome to episode 163 of On The Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On The Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now here's your host, Robbie Samuels. Developing a tolerance for imperfection is the key factor in turning chronic starters into consistent finishers. Does this quote make you itch a little bit or a lot? It's from John Acuff's bestseller, Finish, Give Yourself the Gift of Done. I'm reading it to prepare for the final free masterclass in the Magic of Quarterly Goal Setting series that I'm co-hosting with Heidi Weber this Thursday, September 26th at 1 p.m. Eastern. Imperfection sounds so imperfect, and that can really get a rise out of that part of your brain that thrives on perfectionism. But some part of you understands that the harder you try to be perfect, the less likely you'll accomplish your goals. More than just analysis, perfectionism offers us two distinct distractions, hiding places and noble obstacles. A hiding place is an activity you focus on instead of your goal. A noble obstacle is a virtuous sounding reason for not working toward a finish. Both are toxic to your ability to finish. For instance, if you're watching Netflix every time it's time for you to do X, that's a hiding place. You're afraid to face the fear of imperfection that comes along with every endeavor. So you're hiding from it by doing something that requires no skill. You might write a bad sentence in your blog, but no one's going to critique the way you watch TV. (laughs) Gee, does that quote hit a, a little close to home? How about these examples? Worrying about your book's marketing plan when you haven't even finished writing the book is a noble obstacle. Weighing grams of carbohydrates when you haven't exercised a single minute all month is also a noble obstacle. (laughs) Ouch. Unfortunately, Perfectionism dies slowly. It's persistent and particularly dangerous because it masquerades as excellence. Stop aiming for perfection. All you have to do is win more today than yesterday and then repeat the whole thing tomorrow. Your challenge this week, sign up for the free working masterclass Q4 Let's Finish at robbysamuels.com forward slash goals the number four. That's robbysamuels.com forward slash goals four. This is the final session in the Magic of Quarterly Goal Setting series. We'll be discussing John Acuff's bestseller, Finish, Giving Yourself the Gift of Done, and you'll get to create an action plan to finish your 2019 goals and set yourself up for a great 2020. You don't need to read the book in advance. We've done all that work for you. If you can, join us live so we can answer your questions. Everyone who registers will receive the replay. Don't delay. Register right now. RobbieSamuels.com forward slash goals for. Now, on to this week's show. Today's guest helps people unleash their creativity through banishing their inner critic and hacking their creative brains. She's a keynote speaker, author, and creativity evangelist who consults with companies worldwide. As the founder and CEO of The Creative Dose, She uses research-backed data, vivid storytelling, and experiential exercises to give people an injection of inspiration and immediately applicable tools to help them do their best work. Author of 
Banish Your Inner Critic, a premier handbook on silencing fears to unleash creativity. She's presented at organizations like Google, Facebook, GitHub, the BBC, and TEDx Rheinmain. In her previous life, she was in the web design and development industry and is the author of The CSS Detective Guide. Please join me in welcoming Denise Jacobs. Hey, hi. Denise, thank you so much for uh, joining from your office in Miami, Florida. It's a joy to have you on here. Uh, as you and I were just discussing, this is a show about building strong networks and the context of our conversation is leadership. So tell me, how do you define leadership and when did you realize you had the skills to lead? So I'm actually going to flip that question and I'm going to answer when I realized that I had the skills to lead first. Um, and that was when I was in high school and I was part of student council. And, um, and uh, I, I think it was sophomore year, um, we did a yard sale. And so I organized this yard sale, which is the irony is, is that I love thrift stores and I love secondhand stuff. Um, so, you know, for me to do a yard sale is kind of like, oh, it's like right down my alley, even before I knew it was right down my alley. Um, and so I did that. And, and the interesting thing for me is that I'm six one. I'm a very tall, tall woman. And I actually felt like I spent a lot of time trying to avoid being a leader rather than stepping into leadership. It took a while for me to kind of step into the fact that uh, I actually kind of like being in charge and stuff like that. But I a lot of times tried to avoid it because I felt like people expected it of me. Um, you know, when I was younger, people thought I was older than I was. They would always say I was wise beyond my years. And, um, and I would see that there was a lot of times where nobody would seem to step up, right? Like you knew you could see very clearly and they'd be like, who wants to be in charge of this? And everybody's like looking around, you know, like, and like pointing, like he wants to, she wants to. And I'd just be like, okay. Um, but then it got to a point where I felt like, oh, but this actually suits me. Like this actually suits me. So I think um, being a leader and leadership is really about kind of having a vision and seeing what needs to be done and understanding um, and kind of knowing or at least having an idea of how to go about it. Now, you don't always have all of the answers. Um, certainly, you don't have to do everything but it is having that kind of clarity of seeing the path. Um, and it's interesting when you find out that not everybody has that. Right? That actually, that last part about how not everyone has that, I had this awakening. I, don't, I was like probably out of college when I suddenly realized how few people had sort of logistical brain that I had like seeing how pieces all flow and like even managing time and thinking how things all work together. And then, and then thinking, well, it can't be that specialized because the world does run. So, you know, I was like, Hmm, but, but, uh, but like a lot of people do shy away from it. And then you can see the places where people who have those skills gravitate because they're needed in those industries or in that particular job or a position or skill set. But I also really thought you're, take on your physicality and how that almost held you back and yeah. the expectations attached to that. My kids Absolutely. are gonna my kids are tall for their age and look older than they are. Yeah. And so I get that. I mean like there's expectations even they're really little, they're one and a half and three and a half. If the playground 
what people think they should be able to do, how they should be able to interact. And I'm like, uh, no, <laughs> he's not even two he, yet. <laughs> like that's why he can't say these things. Or that's why he can't articulate this. And yeah. And, um, and it's really interesting because I know that, you know, they've done several studies and I, uh, have a proclivity for dating tall men. And so, um, you know, I'm always surprised too, when I meet tall men who haven't really kind of owned that part of their physicality um, because tons of studies have shown that like when people are looking for leaders, they will literally look for the tallest man in the room. Right. Um, and that's, and that's the expectation is that the tallest man or the biggest person or whatever is going to be the person in charge. And so I, like I said, I often felt that people just because of my physicality would automatically kind of be like, Oh, well you, you probably know what you're doing. And I'm like, well, actually I do. Um, and I do have an opinion about this, but I'm, I'm not necessarily the person in charge. And then it just got easier to just be like, yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, I'll take care of this. When do you think that shift started to happen for you? Um, I think it started happening in my, um, kind of in my early twenties is when I, or like mid twenties when I started just being like, okay, I just, I, let's just take, let's just take, uh, ownership of mm-hmm. this. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, also yeah. that you're no longer <laughs> exceptional in your mid twenties. I mean, like there's a way in which, you know, when you're, when you're like, I had this moment when I was 15 or 16, I was doing talks in front of like legislators. And I remember huh. thinking people think this is exceptional and they won't when I'm 30. <laughs> oh, that's so interesting. Like me being able to stand up and say something in an expressive way that communicates a clear vision right. is something you don't expect from a kid under 20. Mm-hmm. Um, but as you get in, you age, people are like, yeah, yeah, we, we expect you to be a leader, but it's not just because of your height. You had a life experience behind that then that actually right. owned, like you own the role in a bigger way. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Mid 20s, mid early 20s, I would say that that's about the time where it's just like, you can't, it's unavoidable, you know, I'm in college, or coming right out of college. Um, I actually even did a, um, a summer program called the Minority Leaders Fellowship Program, um, and did like an internship program in Washington, D.C. And I was just like, well, I, I guess I'm a leader. <laughs> You'd be surprised, uh, Denise, how many people come on this show and I've selected them. So I think they're a leader. Right. And they tell me privately, well, I don't know if I really actually think, think of myself as a leader, really. Right. And I'm like, you know, <laughs> because they may not have staff or like leader in like this really like particular frame of what mm-hmm. they think a leader is. So were there people that you looked up to that, that you thought, well, I want to be like that if I'm a leader? As leaders... Um, I guess to some degree. So I think it, when I was in college, I, I believe I had the good fortune of seeing women in leadership roles. Um, and like women that, you know, like I worked, so I used to work at the, um, office of international programs and exchanges at the university of Washington, where I went to school. And the woman who was the director was this woman uh, named Kay Hubbard and she was the director. And so it's really cool. The assistant director was a guy named, you know, David Finner and he was the assistant director. And a lot of times people would come in if they didn't know who Kay was and they would start talking to him and he would be like, no, you need to talk to Kay because she is the director. And I was like, yes. 
Um, and so I really appreciated seeing stuff like that. And then also this um, other program that I, this program that I was part of called the Early Identification Program that was part of the um, Office of Minority uh, Services and whatnot, uh, which was identified um, students of color and tried to um, basically steer them towards going into graduate uh, work and doing a PhD. And um, the woman who was the director of that, her name was uh, Carlene Brown. And, you know, African-American, tall, um, black woman as the director of that. And so I ended up um, kind of being in this um, environment where there were all of these, um, you know, powerful women in the university setting. Um, And so for me, it wasn't so much like I want to be like them as much as I just, I saw them and I felt like they recognized my whatever, um, talent or skill or competency or whatever. And I felt like they, what they were doing wasn't so far off and wasn't so unattainable and that it was achievable. Yeah. I I think having those role models that are within reach, they're not, not like, um, media role models, but people in Mm -hmm. your actual life Mm -hmm. and they're flawed human beings. So you get Mm -hmm. to see all parts of it. I had a moment where um, a national figure in the LGBT movement, my then girlfriend was working for her and I got to hear the behind the scenes of how this woman's day to day really was. And Mm -hmm. it was really helpful. I was like mid twenties. And I think it was like, Oh, right. She puts her pants on one at a time and and gets hangry and, (laughs) you know, and jokes around. And it just, I only had a visual of people like that on like a stage or, you know, being at the front of something. And I think when we can see them and then they also see in you, like the strengths that you bring mm-hmm. um, that go beyond physicality, but they, they see what you're actually bringing. That's you. Right. Things that you actually are choosing to put forward in the, in the, in the, into the world, like the gifts that you already know you have. That's that. I mean, it sounds like it's been, quite a transformation. And was, was that where you started to get into this world? It's so funny. Like in here, it talks about your, your web design. Like you, you have this like geeky background. I didn't know totally. you had. <laughs> That's totally. so awesome. Totally. And the CSS detective guide has got to be one of the awesomest book titles I've ever heard. It's a good book. It's actually really, I mean, I certainly I'm biased. But um, it's actually a, a really well-written book, and it's really fun. And it was really fun to write a book on a theme like that and to kind of have like a um, – I ended up reading like satire, mystery satire or satire mysteries um, because I wanted that kind of tongue-in-cheek, mm-hmm. you know, mystery feel, but having it be fun and kind of tongue-in-cheek. And um, it, it, awesome. was really, it was a really – it was actually a fun book to do if I had given myself more time and hadn't had as aggressive as a deadline, it would have been even more enjoyable, Mm -hmm. but it was an enjoyable book to write. But um, yeah. So uh, when I, I, my BA is in international studies and my, I minored in French because I did a, um, a year exchange program in France. And um, when I was finished with school, um, didn't really know what I wanted to do exactly. Thought I wanted to get into international development, 
but was living in Seattle and was like, well, I'm not going to move to Washington, D.C., because that's really kind of how you get into international development. Um, and just kind of started doing like random work and ended up temping at the University of Washington and then um, working, having kind of a long term temporary job, if that makes any sense, like an 18 month temporary job. And at the um, Northwest Center for Research on Women and uh, noticed that their website, this was in 1996, so websites were not super common. Um, and look, I have a kitty cameo. Hey, Zealand. Um, um, websites were not very common, but I was already aware of the web and all of this stuff and noticed that the website wasn't getting updated. And so I asked around and finally found the woman who was in charge of updating the website. And I was like, hey, Shanna, what's going on? And she was like, you know, so here's the crazy thing. In 1996, this woman had been working on the web long enough to have gotten burnt out on the web. Like she started working on the web when the web was like in its like super duper uber foundling stage stages. And she was just like, you know, I'm totally burnt out on like trying to maintain the website. If you want to take it over, you can, you're going to have to learn HTML. And I was like, Oh, it couldn't possibly be that difficult. I'm actually good with computers. They don't scare me. So I set myself down and applied myself to learning and taught myself HTML and uh, started updating the website. And then people were just like, wait a minute, you know, HTML, can you update our website? I was like, sure. And then, you know, within a few months that job ended and I started working, I started uh, contracting at Microsoft. And then basically that just kind of put me on this trajectory of working in the, in the tech industry. Yeah. And software and tech and whatnot. You and I are, I think of the same age and I was in grad school <laughs> and, uh, I don't think we are at the same age. I'm 45 this year. I'll be 51 in November. So we're, ooh, ooh, we're so we're in the same in the ballpark. same way. So we're partly my siblings part. your age. So okay, okay. So, but I went to grad school uh, in uh, 99 and uh -huh. 97, 99, and I learned a lot about HTML. I, I think it was because I was avoiding grad school. <laughs> I had access to a computer and I had all this information to learn. Um, but I remember designing sites for the fun of it. And then, um, yeah, I got a bunch of gigs in around that time helping people run their sites because so few people knew how to do it. You're right. right. Um, but you, you took that in a certain direction. At what point, like that's a, I never know which brain is which, but that's like the techie side of your brain. And then you have this like creativity like side of your brain. So uh, at what point did you realize there was a career in that as opposed to just playing with computers? Well, I was actually writing the CSS detective guide. And um, it's really interesting because that's when I started getting really in touch with my inner critic because my inner critic was showing up every day, nonstop in the morning, handing me a cup of coffee. And like, so, you know, you, you suck and you shouldn't be writing this book and other people know more about this than you do. And you're going to get found up at tour fraud and all this stuff. Hey, good luck writing today. Um, and, um, and so I'm dealing with this inner critic stuff like for nine months. And then finally, when I was done with the book and I was actually designing the website for my book, um, I had this like phenomenal flow state and this like 
just this amazing experience of just like having this energy like running through me and feeling so clear and just you know focused on what I was doing and I didn't want to stop working on it and it occurred to me you know finally the next day when I woke up I realized that it was the first time that I didn't have that voice saying is this good enough what are people going to think am I good enough designer you know, is this the right font? Is this, am I, am I doing, is this what, I wasn't thinking any of that stuff. I just was in the process and just trusting myself and trusting what I was capable of doing and just in it. And that's when I realized that that's actually what I want to help people do. I want to help them feel like that. I want to help like remove the blocks that get in the way of you feeling like in love with what you're doing, in love with what you're capable of doing and feeling like you can do anything that you set your mind to. Right. And to me, it translated into creativity because I had had so much time in my life where I questioned my creativity, where I doubted my creativity, where I was going around asking other people, do you think I'm creative? Do you think this is any good? Do you think this is creative? And so that's what, like, to me, it was like the immediate translation. Now I know that it actually is, in some ways, it's, it's, it's even more expanded beyond creativity, but creativity is the vehicle through which you can actually get to that place, right? Um, and so that's when I was just like, oh, well, this is interesting. I just finished this book and I probably should be, you know, making my, a name for myself as a speaker in this topic. But what I really wanted to do was I really wanted to talk about creativity. So my, my game plan was, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to establish myself as a good speaker, period. And then get to a point where I start to transition from talking about CSS and web design and web development and UX and whatever the heck else and start talking about creativity to people who do web design and web development and UX and whatever the heck else. Um, and so that's what I did. That, that's how it uh, works. that piece about uh, suddenly realizing that the work that you had created was no longer the thing you wanted to run with going forward and that you had found this other <laughs> path that was more meaningful that you wouldn't have gotten to if you hadn't spent nine months on that book. Like right. one really did unlock the other. It was like absolutely the um, yes, the potential wasn't there uh, right. until you you kind of had to go and into I that wouldn't space. Have, I wouldn't have gotten to it if I hadn't gone through that process. I mean, yeah. if I hadn't been kind of forced into to that process, I I never would have come to that conclusion. I, I think I would have yeah. always still continued to kind of be in that place of. Am I good enough? Is it good? Am I, am I creative enough? Am I, are my ideas good? Is it unique? Is it original? Blah, blah, blah. And you recognized that what you were experiencing wasn't unique to you, that there was, I mean, not a market, but like just people. <laughs> there were people who you knew were going to need this. So you had to make this interesting transition. This, I guess, pivot might be the better word, where mm-hmm. you we were trying to like, um, I, I think about this a lot, about how you can actually... Um, your expertise is easily transferable. Mm-hmm. Like if you've established yourself as an expert, then people will believe you're an expert in the adjacent thing. 
mm-hmm. very little convincing. Um, right. Because once you've laddered up, you've done it. <laughs> so right. you you were trying to do this methodically. Okay, I'll establish myself as a speaker uh, in this space, and then I'll shift to speaking to these same audiences on the topic I actually care about. But right. these days, who's your audience? Is it still this narrow it group is, or it's kind of honestly, everywhere? It's kind of, it, it is, it feels a, a bit over, uh, um, it feels a bit all over the place. Um, I think one of the, um, uh, one of the um, unifying characteristics is that it is mostly tech related, but you know, I speak to like next week, I'm going to speak to um, at a, a conference that's for people who create design systems. So it's kind of like designers and UX designers and whatnot. And then uh, a couple of weeks ago, I spoke at a conference of people who were product managers. Um, I spoke to a conference of developers in Athens and Greece. Uh, But then I spoke to a conference of people who are like business leaders in Bucharest, Romania. And uh, technical what, communicators. Hey, what and, about the time you flew across the world uh, to fill in for Brene Brown? That was the business leaders that one. That was the business leaders one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I was witness to those few days when you were trying to make it all happen. Oh my um, gosh, it was amazing though. I mean, it's so amazing that you have found this niche that mm-hmm. is, I think so many people listening can identify with this inner critic, this oh, voice man. that holds us back. And can also remember moments of flow of feeling like I'm really, this is great. I love being in this space. Um, And I think helping people guide themselves closer to that. I mean, what was the challenge? Like, so you, you, you got here and you started to establish yourself. Like, was there a moment where you were like, how do I get to, was it like building the business around it? Like, how did you have to build your team? What did you need to bring it to this level to be, you know, a, a second to Brene when she's not available. Like that's a, that's a pretty powerful testament to who you are and, and that people know you who you are. I mean, that's right. You have to be good, but then people know you're good. So like, wh- how do you go from, I want to be a good speaker to reach this next level? Um, honestly, so one of the things I think that really helped this and, and, and I'm still up leveling, like, like, don't like, let's not, you know, I want to like give people the wrong impression and have them be like, Oh my God, she's arrived. Now she can like sit back, smoke a cigar and drink fizzy lemonade. Like it is not, that is not the thing. And also part of what was going on with that conference was that uh, I had a friend who was in the same group that we're in a speaker group that we're in introduced me to the organizer the organizer, when we finally, like, when we finally uh, kind of were able to communicate with each other, he's like, hey, um, I'd love to talk to you, but I'm, I'm flying to, to Miami tomorrow. And I was like, dude, I live in Miami. Like, let's meet for lunch. So we met for lunch and we talked and he was like, love what you're doing and all this stuff. We have these two conferences. One of them's 800 people. The other one's almost 5,000 people. And I was just like, well, I'm going to let you decide which one you feel I'm the best for. And then, so he invited me to speak at the larger conference for 2020. And so I was already like, uh, kind of like in the works to speak at the conference for 2020. 
And then when Brene canceled this year, he was like, we already have Denise, like, already, like, have her, like, queued up to speak for 2020. We'll just have her come. Now, I don't want to, I don't want to dismiss the fact that they liked me enough to, that, you know, they liked my work and they thought I was, you know, that would be a good, good fit for that. Well, I also, I also see in this, though, Denise, relationships. Exactly. Like, like that you weren't doing this in a vacuum. So you have the connections. Right. First of all, you're in this amazing group. Someone puts your name forward. Mm-hmm. You make an effort to have an in-person connection happen. Mm-hmm. That establishes a rapport that you can't mm-hmm. do via back and forth emails. And, and you can't do over Skype or you can't yeah. do over Zoom. And- right. It's like totally different. And then you made, yeah. so you made that happen. And you got queued up for this thing. And then you know what? You also made yourself available when they needed you. Right. And I think so he called and he was like, can you do it? And I was like, yes, <laughs> I have to figure out how to get somebody to take care of a dog who is in the process of renal failure. Oh. And yeah, that was like that. I mean, there was so there were so many moving parts. It felt like to try to manage in the course of like, you know, less than 18 hours. So and even all of those challenges, I bet the answer was relationships. I, yeah, yeah. And then there was really the wonderful thing. The one of the things that I loved about the experience was that they kept, he kept saying, thank you so much for helping us out. You know, like this is, this is so like you are helping us out so much. You have like saved us in a tight bind. And I was just like, of course you're, you're welcome. And this is an amazing experience. You know, this is an op- amazing opportunity for me, an amazing experience. And to have this auditorium of 4,300 people who were all expecting Brene Brown to be on stage. And then I come out there, like, I like to call myself, like, I'm like the Brown Brene Brown is, <laughs> is what I like to say. I was like, I don't talk about vulnerability, vulnerability but the inner critic stuff is very close, right? And, uh, and does kind of strike some of the same notes. Um, and it was amazing afterwards to have people say to me, I mean, like several um, comments on Instagram and, and on Facebook and things like that, where people were like, I literally came to the conference to hear Brene Brown speak. And I was gutted when I found out that she wasn't going to be there. But as soon as you started talking and as soon as you started sharing your message, I knew it was your message that I needed to hear mm. and not hers. And I was like, okay. Well, I'm, I'm just glad to share a little bit of this story because I think it was powerful. It was, it was a time when I was getting to know you and I think witnessing how you move through that and the grace that you move through that. I think it, it was for me, like, this is what it means to be professional. Um, oh, and I, I'm, I'm learning, I think by, by witnessing this, You've developed amazing core, close knit group of friends. You have a vast network from many industries. Um, you've been in this for a little while. So how do you how do you um, connect with uh, nurture that's not your not your closest circle, but that like second and third tier out? How do you stay in so, touch with those folks? So um, so I, I find that 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 is. That's the challenge. One of the things that I find is the challenge is when you get to that point where you, you know, you have surpassed Dunbar's number of 150 people 
by right? like by like the tenfold. Right, like a lot. <laughs> and and it's really interesting because my my mom actually just said this to me last night. She was like, "You know, people everywhere you go." And I was like, "That is correct." And so because I travel uh, ex- pretty extensively, and because of Facebook, thankfully there's Facebook, um, but. Um, that is in a lot of ways how I maintain or nurture whatever relationships is that I can actually have in-person FaceTime with people, even if they live, you know, like if I go to Germany, if I'm in Frankfurt, Germany, or if I'm like anywhere in Germany, I have a number of people that I can reach out to because I have have friends in Germany. Like if I go to the UK, it's like, Oh, okay. And there's been times where I've like actually done a list where I'm like, Oh, I should reach out to all these people. And then I did like three pages of folks. And I was just like, Oh my God, I can't possibly reach out to all these people. But it's like, you know, over time, it's like you make these connections with folks. I have to say that I don't feel that I'm very good at, at maintaining things with a lot with all the people, but when I do like reach out, um, you know, there's a kind of like the kind of electronic digital serendipity where it's like, you know, you'll see somebody's name and you'll be like, Oh my God, I haven't thought about so-and-so. How are you doing? You're just, you know, and so I've got to the point where I'll just start reaching out to people. If there's like kind of like some digital serendipity that I'll reach. So, um, really good example. Uh, I kind of did like a, Kondo, uh, Marie Kondo type of thing at the end of 2017 and went through my bookshelves and went through my closets and all this stuff. And I started identifying stuff that I didn't want. And some of it I decided to go ahead and donate. And some of it I, I was going to sell. And some of it I was like, so-and-so would love this. And so it gave me an excuse or, you know, gave me a, a thing to like reach out. And so some of the stuff I have not gotten rid of and I have these books. And yesterday, I think it was, I finally was like, these books, I got to go. And so I reached out to a friend of mine who uh, lives here, who runs a, um, an art festival uh, for art during Art Basel with all kind of African-American, African diaspora art called Prism Art Festival. And I reached out to her. I was like, Mikhail, I have this book, this art book. I would love to send it to you. Can I have your address? And she was like, and she wrote back the sweetest email. Like, it is so good to hear from you. And in the email, I said, you know, also, if you have time, I would love to get together and hang out. She was like, it's so good to hear from you. I would love to hang out. Howard, what are you doing on the 28th of August? And so I literally haven't seen her since like 2015. And like, and now we're going to like meet up and reconnect. And so So like, I'll reach out to people and I'll be like, Hey, I would just love to reconnect and catch up. Like, what are you up to? What's going on? And, um, and just kind of try to, to maintain and and nurture relationships that way in a very kind of hands-on, um, you know, uh, when the the moment strikes. Yeah. So one of the things I've done with my coaching clients is I've had them make a list of 20 people that they've worked with and in some capacity, um, in the last five, 10, 15 years. Mm-hmm. that they would like to hear from if that person suddenly showed up and then twice a week schedule time to start doing some reach out, like just to initially to get it on their calendar and then get it created into a habit. Like you have the habit. Ish. Um, <laughs> so, Ish. yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I think for people who like need to need a little trigger, like it could be tied to a certain downtime you have, you know, it could be like when I'm at an airport, 
instead of just flipping through Facebook mindlessly, I will do it with purpose and I will check in with these 12 people. That's a really good idea. You know, and I just, I will tie it to these moments in my life that I already know I have. I could be at a bus stop or it's on my commute. I'm going to always do, you know, and and I've also had people do total old school, like stack of uh, index cards with names. And then every time you talk to someone, you put them to the bottom of the pile. And then mm. the next time you have a minute, you look at the top of the pile and see whose name's on it. I like that too. <laughs> so I little, like that a lot. Thing. And then for me, again, you know, like actually being in proximity. I mean, I love meeting up with people. And one of the things that I, I would actually, I need to make more of a point of doing is checking in places when I'm in Facebook or um, even I've used um, Swarm, um, you know, uh, the old uh, Foursquare or the new Foursquare. Because um, I've had people be like, wait, you're in Madrid? I'm in Madrid. I'm like, shut up. Or um, I was in Seattle and I like just checked in. I was like, I'm just going to be in Seattle for like three days, blah, blah, blah. And this woman that I know who's from Germany, who I met when I spoke at TEDx Rhein-Main back in 2013, literally haven't seen this woman since 2013, but friends with her on Facebook. And like every year she's always does like a memory like, Remember, like, how great TEDx My Mind was, and your message was so great. She and her husband and her son were traveling through, like, Canada and the U.S. to go down to this. They're all into, like, space, uh, like, these space camp, these space conferences. Um, and she was like, we're in Seattle. Like, we are arriving in Seattle tonight, and we will be there until Friday. Wow. And I was like, no way. So we actually met up and I took them around the Pike Place Market because I used to work there and showed them kind of like the kind of back ways through the market and all this stuff. And we had lunch and it was just, it was delightful. So you're talking about a certain kind of serendipity because there's two things that I think that you're doing. One is serendipity for me is you, you have to know what you're looking for. So when you see it, you know, it's something you're looking for. So you're being purposeful. Like mm-hmm. serendipity is not actually, you're like, I want to be seeing, I want to run into people. Like that's, that's like you're calling that, you know, you can think of it woo woo or not, but like, you're like, I'm setting an intention. I'd like to see people. So then when you spot someone, you're like, oh wait, that might be a person I know. That's one thing. The other is you're putting a signal out into the universe, literally posting and letting people know where you are and what you're up to so that others can then see that and then respond. So there's a proactiveness to your serendipity that other people could have found out after a week later when photos went up on Facebook that you were both in Seattle at the same time. That happens probably more often than not for people. Right. So I think that even that little thing, like if you're traveling, always setting up a little note to let people know. Right. Always hey, like saying, hey, I'm going to be in the area. I, I tend to do that particularly around conferences. I don't usually get off the conference compound <laughs> very right. often, but um, if I if I'm not there with people and I can I try to find someone local to connect with who will get a car and pick me up and get me to go see something other than the confines of the beautiful resort we're staying at. That after right. four days you're like I'm kind of done with these three restaurants. I'm done with all of this stuff. <laughs> I need to go someplace else. I want to go anywhere in a neighborhood. Restaurant. Yeah. <laughs> anywhere neighborhood like that people actually live. So, um, but yeah, but like setting the intention around that, I think anyone listening can, can adapt that for themselves. 
Um, I have a favorite question that we're, we're coming to the close. This is one of my last Tell questions me everything. here. Everything. I want to so, hear everything. Denise, the fantastic thing is I know that we're going to stay in touch. I know I'm going to be seeing a lot of you, but let's say a year from now, we're talking about all the success you've had mm. in the last year. What are we going to be celebrating? What are the things that you're most looking forward to in the year ahead? Okay. So one of the things, so there's several things. Ooh, I just got like a, a little thing in my stomach. Uh, uh, <laughs> it's so interesting. So one of the things that we'll be celebrating is the, um, uh, the release of my next book, which is um, going to be a New York Times bestseller or a bestseller of some sort. Um, this one is the working title right now is Achievement Syndrome, How um, uh, Successful People Suffer from an Overactive Inner Critic and How to Overcome It. Um, so that will be happening. Um, uh, I will be celebrating a very full um, speaking calendar um, going all over the country and all over the world speaking more, doing more fill-ins for Brene Brown or being on the same stage as Brene Brown. Um, also uh, celebrating lots of um, media um, coverage for me and um, probably celebrating an engagement or plans for being married. Uh, that was the thing in my stomach that I was like, where'd you come from? I don't even know where that came. I mean, I do know where it came from, but I didn't think that I would be probably celebrating that. And I may also be celebrating a move to another part of the country. Wow. That is a lot. I mean, like I could see all these things happening for you. And it's so exciting to know I'm going to witness it as it unfolds. Um, thank you so much for being on here. How can people find you and mm. follow your work? So you can go to Denise jacobs.com is my website. If you need to or want to reach out to me for any reason, you can email me, denise at denisejacobs.com. Um, I'm on LinkedIn. I think as Denise R. Jacobs is my handle on LinkedIn. On Instagram, it's Denise Jacobs. On Twitter, it's Denise Jacobs. And on Facebook, it's denisejacobs.com, all spelled out. Fantastic. We will have all these links in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Again, Thank you, Denise. I really appreciate this conversation. Thank you so much for having me. It was such a delight. I hope you enjoyed the interview with Denise. Such a pleasure to speak with her and learn about her leadership journey. What is your key takeaway from our conversation? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Share it resonate with you in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 163. That's also where you'll find all the links and resources from today's show, as well as over 150 archived episodes on this Pinterest-inspired page. Reach out and let me know which were your favorite interviews. If you've ever wondered how some people manage to be consistent finishers while you're a chronic starter, the free masterclass I mentioned at the top of the show is uh, perfect for you. I hope you'll join us this Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern. That's New York. Register for the free working masterclass Q4 Let's Finish at RobbieSamuels.com forward slash goals four. If you enjoyed this episode with Denise, please share it with your friends and don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss next week's show. Remember, subscribing is always free. 
Are you a fan? That's awesome. I'd love to read your view on Apple Podcasts. It's easy to find our page at itunes.ontheschmooze.com. Thank you in advance. I look forward to connecting again next week when I'll be interviewing another town professional about their untold stories of leadership and networking. We'll explore their career challenges, work-life balance, and how they built a strong professional network on their way to becoming a successful leader. Until then, have an amazing week. Thanks for listening to On the Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's On the Schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.